If you will, take your Bibles and turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. And as you are turning to Deuteronomy chapter 6, I want to bring another sacred cow out of its pen into the Calvary Corral so that we can examine it thoroughly by the truths of God's Word. And if you're not familiar with the term sacred cow, it simply means an idea or practice that is immune from questioning or criticizing. A sacred cow is something that most have accepted to be wholesome without ever considering how it started, why it started, how it is done, what the results have been, or the dangers and problems with it. And as you know, over the last several weeks, I've released several sacred cows out of their pens and into the Calvary Corral with the express purpose of placing them under the x-ray of God's Word so that we might assess their spiritual health. And that being said, the sacred cow that I want to set before us this evening is the sacred cow of youth ministry. The sacred cow of youth ministry. And by this I mean that which is commonly called children's church, the teen youth group, as well as summer youth camps. And I know the immediate response is, oh, but pastor, you are not allowed to question these things. My response would be, why not? Says who? My Bible says test, not some things, not most things, not those things we don't like, but all things. My Bible encourages me to receive the teachings of men with all readiness of mind and then search the Scriptures so that we will see whether what we have been taught aligns with the truths of God's Word. And so another response might be, but pastor, children's church, youth ministry, teen groups, and summer youth camps are the accepted norm of most churches. My response would be, I know. That's why I want to examine it. So like all the teachings I brought to our attention over the last several months, I want to hold the widely accepted belief of youth ministry up to the light of God's Word so that we might honestly consider its relation to biblical teaching as well as its lasting effectiveness. So the cow is out of its stable and is placed here in the front of the auditorium. Do you see it? It's right here. It's invisible. That means it doesn't stink. All right? In our examination of this specific sacred cow, I want to begin by considering, first, what we've been conditioned to believe about this cow. What we've been conditioned to believe about the sacred cow of youth ministry. If you're taking notes, this is point number one. Point number one is what we've been conditioned to believe and accept about children's church, youth groups, and summer youth camps. And under this first point, I want to give you two connecting subpoints, starting with subpoint number one. And subpoint number one is the undeniable truth that most of us have been conditioned to believe that all church youth ministry 
is unquestionably biblical. Most of us have been persuaded to believe that every Christian church must have a thriving children's ministry and exciting youth group with an ecstatic youth pastor. And if for some reason they don't, we view them as strange creatures who are unorthodox in their theology. It's true. Second to the cardinal doctrines of the Trinity, justification by faith, the inerrancy of Scripture, the virgin birth of Christ, the substitutionary atonement of Jesus, the bodily resurrection of our Lord. Many of us have been persuaded to believe in one way or another that it is absolutely essential for every church to have age-segregated classes for the young ones because it's the only God-sanctioned way for them to learn Bible truth. Yet those who passionately argue that youth ministry is unquestionably biblical cannot give clear biblical examples of God instituting a children's pastor, a youth pastor, a youth group, or children's ministry. Listen, I'm not arguing whether or not youth ministry has been useful or can be useful at times. My argument is centered around being led to believe that it is unquestionably biblical when we find no support for it in Scripture. Subpoint number one is most of us have been conditioned to believe that all youth ministry is unquestionably biblical. And then connected with subpoint one is subpoint number two. Subpoint number two is the fact that most of us have been conditioned to believe that all youth ministry is absolutely needed. Many of us have been encouraged to believe that there is no way we can have church without a youth ministry. Many of us have been programmed to think that the only way children can be reached for the Lord is by teaching truth on their level within the church in an age-segregated class. Many of us have been conditioned to think that children need to be entertained when they come to church. We've been led to believe that teenagers need, they need, we think they need a fun, charismatic youth pastor who watches the same cartoons they do, who is only five years older than they are so they can relate to them. Many well-meaning Christian people have been persuaded to believe that, quote, big church is boring for children, so children need juice, cookies, puppets, quiet seat prizes, skits, movies, candies, clowns. Do you remember the PowerPoint? Do you remember the sermon on fun church? It's not just church, it's fun. Do you remember the slides about Super Mario Sunday? Do you remember Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny? Remember the festivals with bounce houses and face paintings and dunk tanks and all these things? Well, much of fun church is associated with youth ministry. We think that teens need 40 minutes of activities and only 10 minutes of Bible teaching. We think teens need a, a pool table, arcade basketball game, foosball, 
an Xbox to play in church in the youth rooms so that they can have something to look forward to when they come to church. Seriously, this is what we've been encouraged to believe the average youth group needs. The new fad now is for churches to create a Chuck E. Cheese over Jesus. The new fad is to create an indoor playground that looks like a McDonald's play place with ball pits and slides. That's the new fad. We've been led to believe that the youth group is the only way that teenagers can make people can make friends with people their age. We've been led to believe that it's crucial for children to attend youth camp every summer. We've been led to believe that the youth pastor needs to plan fun activities for the kids while the kids are on summer break so that they don't drive their parents insane. Come on, I'm just asking you to be honest with me. Over the last several decades, we've been conditioned to think that youth ministry is absolutely needed. And because of this, we can't imagine any other way. When parents come to our church, they expect us to have all the fun bells and whistles for their children. And some even base their attendance or their follow-up visit to our church, not over doctrine, not over their desire to have peer membership, not over the content of the preaching, not even their longing to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ preached faithfully, but what they want is they want a place where their kids can have fun. And if their kids are not pleased, if there's no babysitting for the kids, then it's to the next church we go until we find a church, catch it, that suits their physical wants and needs. I've seen it. I continue to see it. What do you have for the children? We have a Sunday school class. That's it? Yeah. Mark Calvary out. No asking of the pastor's testimony. No asking, what do you believe about the gospel? No comparing, how do people love here? Are they faithful to the truth? No, what's in it for the kids? Over the last 50 to 60 years, we've been conditioned to believe that children's church, youth groups, summer youth camps are, number one, unquestionably biblical and absolutely needed. Now, having set this sacred cow before us and assessed what we've come to believe about it, what I want to do in my second main point is walk you through Scripture so that we might examine what God says about the training of children how children worshipped in past centuries, and the practices of the new local New Testament church. So the first text that I want us to examine is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 3 through 9. Take your Bibles, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 3 through 9. The Bible says, Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 3, Hear therefore, O Israel... And observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might, 
And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Notice that. These words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. The sentence doesn't end. The thought continues to verse 7. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou, liest, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. Thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. If Deuteronomy 6, 3 through 9 teaches us anything, it teaches us that it is the parent's primary responsibility to exemplify and teach the truths of God's word to their children. Did you catch what I said? If you want a proof text regarding who the children's pastor or youth group leader should be, here it is. Theologically speaking, parents are to be the youth leaders and the youth pastors. God has commanded that Christian parents strive to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, while at the same time, and not to the exclusion of, diligently teaching the truths of God's Word to their children. This is clear Bible truth. This is not man-made philosophy. God has commanded parents, notice it, to maintain a close relationship with the Lord so that they might exemplify what it looks like to love God so that they will not be a hypocrite when they tell their children about the truths of God's Word. Hear, O Israel, you love the Lord with all your heart, mind, and strength. And out of that love, Say with Paul, to your children, follow me as I follow the Lord. Out of that love for God, let it burst out into your own home. That's Moses' message to the nation. Now turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 31, 12 through 13. Deuteronomy 31, 12 and 13. Deuteronomy 31, verse 12. Gather the people together, men and women and, okay, you can just take your pen and just cross that out, and children, I'm joking, don't cross it out, and thy stranger that is within thy gates, that they, men, women, and children may hear, and that they may learn. And fear the Lord your God and observe to do all the words of this law. And that their children, which have not known anything, may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as ye live in the land whither you go over Jordan to possess it. And the truth that I want to lay down from this text is the truth that children were commanded and expected. They were encouraged to hear the reading of God's law as the adults gathered before the presence of God. Do you see that? Children were commanded and expected to be in attendance when the priests publicly read and explained 
the law of God. They weren't pushed out into a corner. The ushers didn't stare them down and say, no children allowed in this worship. Now turn over to Ezra chapter 10. Ezra chapter 10. First and second Samuel, first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles, Ezra chapter 10. And similar to Deuteronomy 31, we find in Ezra 10 that children were among the assembly of the saints when the saints were assembled together. Ezra chapter 10, verse 1. Now when Ezra had prayed and when he had confessed, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God, there assembled unto him out of Israel a very great congregation of men and women and children, for the people wept very sore. And if you will read the entirety of the chapter, you will find that Ezra is calling on the people of God to get right with God. He's calling on the nation to repent. And did you notice Ezra's actions? He's praying publicly. He's confessing. He's weeping. He's casting himself down because they have erred against God. Now, I want you to think about what an impact this must have been on the hearts of the children who are present. There are no bounce houses. There's no face paintings. No cornhole tournaments. Ezra's leading them in prayer, true prayer. Prayer like we've probably never heard before. True prayer to God for the sins they've committed against God. Well, that's not fun. That's not exciting. No cookies, no juice, no prizes, no candy. No talking vegetables to sing them silly songs. Let me, let me tell you something. Children need to see and experience what adults experience, especially when it comes to brokenness over sin. They need to see that. They need to see the pastor get passionate about these things. Children need to see their parents becoming broken over their sinfulness before God. Children need to see what true preaching looks like. They need to see the tears. Sadly, they're not going to see it in this atmosphere that we've created that focuses on fun and entertainment. Now turn over to Nehemiah, the next book, Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8. Now keep in mind that the books of Ezra and Nehemiah record how God revived His people after a time of spiritual waywardness. Ezra and Nehemiah are instances of spiritual revival and renewal among the nation of Israel. Children benefited from that. Don't you think years later they said, oh, I was there, I heard, I saw, I experienced. It was real. Or do you think they said, well, we were never in big church. No, we just had somebody watch us out at our own community. No. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1. And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate, and they spake 
unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. Oh, to see the parents. We want God's word. Preacher, preach. Don't preach your opinion. Don't preach about politics. Give us the truth. Bring the law of God. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women and all that could hear with the understanding. Upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday. Think about that for a moment. I don't know if the kids can handle more than 10 minutes of Bible teaching. Morning till midday. Before the men and the women and those that could understand And the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. And then verses 5 and 6. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with the lifting up of their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. You see the same principle we extracted from Ezra chapter 10. The children heard what the adults heard. They saw what the adults saw. They witnessed what the adults witnessed. They joined in on the worship of God. Notice, the adults did not dumb down truth. The adults encouraged these young ones to mature up. It's a very important truth to keep in mind. We're not going to dumb it down or shorten it for you. This is the worship of the Almighty. And if God leads the pastor to preach morning till midday, you better pay attention. This is important. Now, sneak them an animal cracker or two if you need to, but this is church. Now turn over to Colossians chapter 3. I know some of this is extreme to some of you. Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 through 21. But let God be true and every man a liar. That's been my motto throughout this series. Colossians 3, 18 through 21. Colossians 3, verse 18. Wives, submit yourself unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Now, did you notice the mentioning of children in the text? The letter to the Colossian believers written by Paul under the inspiration of God, was delivered and read to a church body where children were present in the congregation. Children are specifically addressed. Do you see that? First, Paul addresses the wives. Second, Paul addresses husbands. And then third, Paul addresses children. Does this teach us anything? Yes, it teaches us that children were not separated from their parents. They were most likely sitting next to their parents. 
And likewise, we find a similar principle over in Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Ephesians 6, verse 1. Children in the congregation, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now keep in mind that the epistle of Ephesians was not addressed to a children's church, but the church in Ephesus. And among the collective worship of the church in Ephesus, children were among their parents and children were among other adults. So Paul says to the church, children, you ought to do God's will. And then if you will, turn over to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. As you're turning over to Titus, keep in mind that this letter has been regarded as one of Paul's pastoral epistles. Along with 1 and 2 Timothy, Titus contains practical instruction on how Christ's church ought to be governed. It's encouragement for pastors and elders regarding how they should shepherd the flock of God. Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity and patience, the aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the younger women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. What I want you to notice in this text is the focus of the home and the God-given responsibilities of older Christians and Christian parents. Notice it. In the context of the church, the elders are commanded to command the older women of the church to encourage the younger women of the church to love their husbands, love their children, and to be keepers of the home. The focus is on their example. Do you see that? To be discreet, to be chaste, to be good, submissive to their husband. And then the focus of their ministry is to be on their children. Just like the pastors and the deacons, who they are spiritually ought to flow out of what they do for the Lord. We can only do as we're being. That's what Titus is being told as the ministry of the mom, to be keepers of the home. They have to love their children and then out of that, raise their children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. This is the same principle of Deuteronomy chapter 6. There's no Old Testament and New Testament way of doing parenting. There's only one biblical way of parenting. The older are to teach the younger Catch it, that it is their responsibility to disciple their children, not the church's responsibility. Why doesn't Paul say, 
that the older women should tell the younger women that the youth pastors will fix their kids. If you go back and read First and Second Timothy, again, pastoral epistles, you will not find anything mentioned of the need for elders to establish programs for the kids among the church. Of all their responsibilities, not one thing is mentioned about trying to make church fun for young ones. So my question is, if youth ministry is so important as we deem it to be, why didn't God make it clear in His Word that it's important? I mean, think about it. We know, we know without a shadow of a doubt that salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Why do we know that? Because God's Word clearly and repetitively declares that to be. We know that Jesus is the only mediator between holy God and sinful man. How do we know that? Because God's Word clearly and repetitively declares that to be. We know that the public reading of Scripture, the expositing of Scripture, the preaching of Scripture is the means whereby people come to faith in Christ and is the means whereby Christians grow. This is the means through which the church ought to focus on. Why do we know that? Because God's Word clearly says it and it repeatedly says it. We know that baptism and the Lord's Supper are the two ordinances of the church because God's Word clearly says it and God's Word repeatedly says it. We know that the church is only to consist of born-again, baptized believers. How do we know that? Because God's Word is crystal clear, and God's Word repeats this truth over and over and over and over. So my question about this sacred cow that's here tonight is where is the biblical concept of delegating the spiritual training of children to the church? Where's the biblical concept of separating children from their parents in public worship? Where is the biblical office of youth pastor? Those of you who were in Sunday school this morning, the Bible speaks of pastors, elders, and deacons, but no youth pastor. Yet we have Bible colleges and seminaries offering majors in youth ministry. But pastor, we don't have to take the Bible seriously, do we? I guess not. I guess the Bible is not the sole authority for faith and practice. I guess we can play pick and choose with God's Word. But pastor, there's nothing in the Bible that says we can't have youth ministry. True, true. But there's nothing that says we can't have bingo at our church every Friday night either. There's nothing that says we can't moonwalk to Michael Jackson music on Sunday mornings. There's nothing in the Bible that says we can't smoke marijuana before we come to church. There's nothing in the Bible that says we can't have our ushers and our deacons dress up like elves for Christmas. Listen, if, if that is your best kickback and argument for having youth ministry in the church, you've missed the whole point of my series on biblical discernment. What is biblical discernment? Biblical discernment, as Sinclair Ferguson explains, means 
Not only distinguishing the right from the wrong, it means distinguishing the primary from the secondary. It means distinguishing between the good and the better and even the better and the best. Biblical discernment is about approving from Scripture those things which are excellent, as Paul says in Philippians chapter 1. Biblical discernment is about striving to be biblical in all that we do. Biblical discernment is about causing the Bible to guide our beliefs and practices rather than squeezing our wants and wishes and man-made ideas into the Bible. What are my biblical concerns with most youth ministry? Well, second point clarifies that. It's really not in the Bible. Let me add upon this. My biblical concerns with most youth ministry is it's just not endorsed by the whole of Scripture. In fact, most youth ministry distorts the true meaning of the church. Now think about this. I know we've been conditioned by it. I'm talking to myself. But think about this. Children's church is a contradiction in terms. Wait, so we have a separate congregation of born-again baptized believers somewhere else on the property that we don't interact with? Wait, the church is not one, it's two? Who, who are the children's church pastors? Does the children's church have deacons? Do, does the children's church partake in the Lord's Supper and baptism? Do, do, do they do church like we do? Do they practice church discipline? Do you see how children's church actually divides the church, which is opposite to what God's Word says? God's Word teaches us that church is to be one. It's to be the unification of brothers and sisters in the Lord. God's Word teaches us that the church is to be made of Jew and Gentile, bond and free, rich and poor, male and female, educated and uneducated, old and young. This is the beauty of Christ's church. But children's church is a contradiction in terms. So likewise, the title of children's pastor is not a biblical concept and needs to be abolished. Listen, do we have a senior citizen's pastor? Why not? Let's have senior citizen's church. Next Sunday, if you're over 70, you're going to be downstairs in room number one. Why not? And I'm going to appoint, well, I'll pray about it, so-and-so to be the senior citizen. You're not allowed up here because sometimes you can't hear. Sometimes you can't catch all that the pastor says. I'm not trying to be mean, but I'm just trying to use the arguments that we give for kids. Yeah? Would that be fair? Would that be right? I could start a new fad, senior citizens church. Do we have a Marine Corps church? Yeah, let's do that. All right. Chaz, Jesse, Sorry. Next week, room two, Marine Corps Church, next to Senior Citizen Church. And then uh, we might as well break that up. There's Air Force Church, there's Navy Church, there's Coast Guard Church, Army Church, Army Pastor, Navy Pastor. Should there be a Bible college major of single moms pastor? What about divorced dads pastor? Should we have a broken home pastor? I mean, that could, 
I mean, look at our homes are broken. A lot of people come, broken homes. Maybe we should just create a broken home ministry, broken home pastor. Put them in another place. Let's have a drug addiction pastor. Let's have a Greek-speaking pastor for those people who are well-educated and like to speak Greek. We can have a Hebrew-speaking pastor. We can have a sports pastor for the sports enthusiast. Yeah. Dodgers pastor? You see, listen, where does this end? Why are we dividing the church into factions? Youth ministry is not biblical in that it distorts the true biblical meaning of the church and encourages, it encourages the church to be divided. And likewise, youth ministry, as I've shown you from Scripture, is against the biblical model of training children. The biblical model for training children starts from the father on down. The biblical model for training children starts inside the home, not outside the home. The biblical model for training children includes families worshiping together when the church assembles. And I'm of the persuasion that youth ministry actually encourages parents to be lazy in their endeavors to evangelize and disciple their kids because, here's why, they've been told, whether directly or indirectly, that the church will take care of shepherding their children for them. We've done it to ourselves. We have paid professionals who've gone to college. They know all the tactics on how to make your children love God. So you just step back and let us handle it. That's what we've said, whether directly or indirectly. The church has sold the idea to parents that they, the church, know how to do their job better than they can. So what do parents do? Well, naturally, they believe it. They relinquish their responsibility to shepherd their children, and then they blame the church when their children grow up and leave the church and abandon their faith. What's my problem with youth ministry? First, it's not supported by Scripture. There are no theological principles that clearly support it. If you can give me some, I'm willing to search it out. I can't see any. And second, it's, it's relatively new. Youth ministry is relatively new. Now, I don't know if you realize this, but youth groups and children's church cannot be found throughout church history. They came onto the scene around the 60s and the 70s. And listen, most of your Christian grandparents never heard of such an idea. They never once went to youth group or summer teen camp. And listen, somehow they turned out okay. Your Christian grandparents turned out okay, but they never were involved in these groups. And, and let me be clear under this point. The problem that I have with the newness of it is not the newness of it but the arrogant attitude that we think we know how to do God's work better than those God-fearing, prayerful, Bible-saturated pastors, theologians, and church fathers throughout church history whose ministries were obviously blessed by the Lord. So, so my question is, if youth ministry is obviously biblical, why don't we read of it in the ministries of the Puritans? Charles Spurgeon, George Whitfield, the Wesleys, John Bunyan, Jonathan Edwards, 
hundreds and hundreds of years, men pouring over the scriptures for hours every day. They weren't addicted to their phones. They didn't have phones. They gave themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And somehow they, didn't, they, they missed over the youth group. So my problem, number two, with, with the whole youth culture in church is that it's relatively new. And my problem is not the newness of it. The problem is the arrogant attitude to think that we know better than Christians throughout church history. And then problem number three that I have with youth ministry is that it encourages immaturity. It encourages immaturity. I can spend a whole hour on this point alone. Silly songs, youth rallies, rather than singing, I am a C-H, I am a C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N, I'm a Christian. Let's change it up. I am a chicken. Let's let's teach children that we are chickens. That's funny. Let's do irreverent worship. If we're honest with ourselves, we have to admit that most youth ministry encourages and promotes spiritual immaturity over spiritual maturity. You do realize that there used to be a day in which children were expected to be mature at 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12. You do realize that back in the day, there there was no concept of teenager. You were either a child or an adult. There used to be in a day in which children responsibly worked their farm at 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12. They woke up at 4 o'clock in the morning and milked the cows. You've heard the stories from your grandparents? There used to be a day where children were taught to be still in church, to memorize long portions of scriptures. They were encouraged to respect their elders and honor the authorities of their life. Just watch the old Hallmark shows that portray the 1800s. You'll see this. But such a day is long gone. And I fear the church is to blame in encouraging children to become more immature. You say, Pastor, what do you mean? Well, do you know what most youth groups consist of? I'm talking as one who used to be in one, one who used to oversee. Most youth groups consist of, well, now worldly music, eating pizza, slamming pies in people's faces, burping contests, swallowing goldfish. They consist of teen girl having a crush on teen boy and teen boy having a crush on teen girl. And within the youth group, what exists, let's change numbers. Let's write notes to one another under the pastor's teaching. Listen, you get a group of young people together, all sorts of things will happen that aren't good. Most youth classes consist of teenagers showing other teens in the youth group inappropriate Instagram photos, TikTok videos, and teens growing up thinking that Christianity is all about fun. It's Peter Pan Christianity, as I call it. We want to live in Neverland where we never grow up. So what happens? Well, these young people grow up. Big church seems boring to them. They've never been in it. So now in the main worship service, we have churches dressing up their platforms to look like vacation Bible school every week. We've replaced the juice and cookies with coffee and donuts. And we have to keep the fun programs rolling to ensure that people will keep coming back. Do you see the problem? The Bible says, 
that the Christian life is a spiritual war. The Bible says that the Christian is to be a soldier. Yet we are training our children to think that Christianity is all about jokes and cokes with a little bit of Jesus sprinkled on from time to time. Listen, parents, children need to know that the Christian life is not about being entertained. I'm serious. Jesus teaches us that the Christian life is about taking up our cross and following Him. Do you know what taking up a cross means? It means death. It means sacrifice. It means hardship. It means pain. It means being denied. But most youth camp recap videos are not going to portray this truth. They're going to portray party time with a little bit of preaching. I've seen the recap videos that the youth group show to the church after the week of youth camp. I don't even know what they do. I think they do Hindu practices now. All these colors, there's some Hindu practice mixed in with all these color things. It's all about fun and rock music and kids giving each other swirlies and toilets and such. Can you imagine Jesus dying on the cross while little children are beneath him? Bouncing on bounce houses, laughing, treating it lightly. I'm saying we need, we, we, we need to encourage our young ones to take this seriously. And I fear that the young ones who've grown up and who are not here mock the fact that church doesn't treat God's word seriously. Problem number four. What's my problem with youth ministry? Number one, it's not biblical. It's not old. It's relatively new. Number three, it encourages immaturity. And this one I snuck in this afternoon. I need to say it. Youth ministry has become a springboard for sexual harassment. You would be surprised that the youth pastors, youth leaders who are now in jail because they've been caught doing perverse things with little kids in the church. They have abused young ones all in the name of Christ. And they've used the church to hide it. God forbid. We've allowed this. I could tell you of so many things I've seen and heard over the years. I can tell you of drug activity at youth camps. Kids bringing alcohol to youth camps. I could tell you of sexual immorality and even homosexuality happening at youth camps. The church encourages all-nighters, lock-ins, sleepovers. There's two leaders and a hundred kids. Give me a break. What are we encouraging? And then we're surprised when something happens at a church, when some allegation or some man's arrested for sexually assaulting a child in church, we've created this atmosphere, church. Our problem lies with us. This is, this is a huge... Why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? Youth ministry has become a springboard for sexual harassment. 
And then, let me give you the next point. Youth ministry hasn't worked. It hasn't worked. But pastor, you're being pragmatic now, aren't you? No, I'm not a pragmatist. I'm an honest realist. And the honest reality is we say youth ministry is biblical. We say that it's needed when everyone can clearly see that so many children that have been exposed to youth ministries want nothing to do with God today. Eight out of ten, nine out of ten. There are some kids who are reached, who are helped by it. But eight out of ten, nine out of ten grow up in all these programs and then they're gone. And I'm not talking about non-church kids. I'm talking about kids whose parents went to church every Sunday. Where are they? You see, I'm not interested in short-term effect. I'm interested in long-term result. And I think you should be too. Listen, I know kids' ministry in the moment, with all of its hustle and its bustle and its excitement, it seems like we're making a difference for the Lord. I mean, we're posting pictures on Facebook. Look what God did today. Wow, look at the numbers. Look at all the happy faces. But nobody says anything 20 years later. Where's the post of all the kids that we've lost? Come on, post it. The result we're seeing today demonstrates that something has gone terribly wrong. Are you okay with most kids growing up in church and leaving? Are you okay with that? Should we just accept it as norm? I'm not okay with that. We have to examine this so we find a solution. And we must do it. We must do it for the souls of our young ones and for the testimony of Christ's church. My fifth problem with most youth ministries is the undeniable truth that most youth programs encourage false professions of faith. Most youth programs push for decisions. Most youth programs encourage kids to pray the quick prayer so that the pastor deems him to be Christian. And listen, I will never understand why we assign teenagers, 19-year-olds, who barely come out of puberty, to be the spiritual counselors of children at youth camp. I'll never understand why we entrust 22-year-olds who've just graduated from Bible college to deal with the souls of teenagers. They don't know doctrine. They've barely lived life. They don't know how to deal with souls. Most of them have not studied out the biblical framework of the gospel. And yet we'll send them to a strange camp where we know nothing about the youth counselor and the youth counselor wants to look successful so he pushes for decisions. It happens all the time. Again, I could tell you story after story after story. I used to be one at a youth camp. And I think, why did they do that? Why did they trust me? I didn't know doctrine. I didn't have experience in dealing with people in figuring out how best to help them spiritually? Oh, well, you don't need that today. You just need to know the ABCs. Admit you're a sinner. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Confess the Lord's name. Listen, this is why I refuse to send my kids to youth camp. I've seen it. I've heard testimony after testimony of emotional decision. So numbers can be pushed. And those counselors who don't push for numbers, they're gone. They're gone. Get them out. Don't let them talk to kids. They don't know how to do it. 
So, so little Susie goes to camp every year and gets saved. Every year. Saved. Next year, saved. Next year, saved. Next year, saved. Or little Johnny goes and rededicates his life every year. Rededicates, 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 when maybe there's a bigger problem. For the sake of our young ones, listen, this madness has to stop. It has to stop. It's truly insanity. Einstein says insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. We're talking about souls. We're talking about heaven and hell for all of eternity. We're talking about entertaining our children straight to hell in Christ's name. Why? Why won't we examine it? Why won't we kick against the tradition? I'm not okay with children coming and leaving. So where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? Well, let me conclude by clarifying some questions for you. You may be wondering now that I've gone on a rant of cow tipping, sacred cow tipping. The, the cow is tipped over. You're familiar with cow tipping? Well, it's laying on its side now. It can't get up. Right? The, the pastor's kicked him over. Where do we go from here? Let me ask her some questions. You might be thinking, Pastor, are you saying God can't work through youth ministry? No, certainly not. God is sovereign and God can work in any means He chooses to. Actually, Jesus says He has the power to allow the rocks to cry out and praise Him if He wants to. So I'm not saying that God can't work through youth ministry. I've never asserted that God cannot work through youth ministry. Actually, I came to Christ through a youth camp at the age of 16, and I praise God for it every day. But pastor, God used youth ministry in my life, so we should have it. Well, praise God that God used ministry in your life. I'm not saying that all kids' ministry is sinful, wrong, unhelpful, and bad. I'm saying most of it is. But just because we've always done something does not mean that it is biblical and the most profitable way of helping children. Are you saying that all youth leaders are insincere and purposely deceiving? Are you saying those who've been involved in kids' ministry in past years have willfully sinned? No. No. I believe most youth leaders are well-meaning people. I believe most youth leaders are passionate about seeing the younger generation reach for Christ. But likewise, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't challenge them about some things. Well, pastor, what about our Sunday school program? What about vacation Bible school? Are they wrong? Not necessarily. I'm not opposed to an occasional outreach program and Sunday school class that helps come alongside of parents and train them in biblical truth, so long as such programs do not take the place of collective worship towards God and do not encourage parents to become lazy in their shepherding of children. You see? Sunday school doesn't separate us from the collective service of God, worship of God during the preaching services. It adds to it. It's extra. Well, what about those children who don't have Christian parents? Well, my question to that question would be, why are we not striving to reach parents for Christ? 
wouldn't it make sense to strive to reach fathers and mothers for Christ so they can raise their children for the Lord? You see, this is the big problem. The church pours so much time, energy, and effort into children's ministry while we pass over evangelizing adults who can disciple their children. We've got it backwards. And we say, I know we're good. We, we say that it's all, it's all about reaching the parents. Come on. When the truth is, it's not even reaching one father or mother. It's about giving the kids a good time. We need to get back to encouraging parents to love God. We need to equip parents with the tools to shepherd their own children. We need to get to the place where we place the burden of parenting back on the father's shoulders rather than offload it on the church. I'm being serious. Let's, let's be more passionate about discipling parents than just giving kids a little Bible story from time to time. Think about what that could do. If we, just, if we, if we took all, all of it in the United States, all the energy, all the effort, all the money we pour into Bible colleges, seminaries, four years training about youth ministry, where's the four-year training about reaching dads and moms for Christ? so they can reach their home. We've lost the generation because of this. We we need a discipling dad's ministry. It's it's easy to reach the kids. It's easy to have a fun time with kids. That's easy. It's hard to reach the parents for Christ and then to train them. That takes a long time. It's easy to throw candy at kids so they'll come back next week. It's hard work, takes blood, sweat, tears, fasting and prayer to reach the parents for Christ. So where do we go from here? What is needed as we take this sermon and go back home, sifting all that we've heard? What's needed, number one, is honesty. Honesty with God's word and honesty with what we are doing. I'm asking you to be honest. Be honest. And then number two, what is needed is humility. A willingness to be corrected by Scripture. A willingness to be challenged from your pastor through Scripture. Willingness to be taught. What does God's Word say? We've looked at the text. Either it's true or it's not. Either it's God's way or man's way. What is it? We need humility. We need honesty. And then number three, we need faith. We need to trust that God's way is the best way. We need to believe that the Bible presents the most effective way to evangelize and disciple others. I'm convinced that our biggest problem with our trust in youth ministry is our lack of faith in God. Truly, we don't believe that God's word is sufficient. We say we do. And then we squeeze it into Scripture. We don't exegete it out. Faith. Faith is God's way, the best way, and the right way. Or do we need to help God out? Another sacred cow has been set before us. The question is, are we willing to examine it? Not by what we think, not by what we feel, not by what we've experienced, not by what we've been told, but are we willing to examine it by the Bible?